Well, as you're uh, sitting down, why don't we turn together, if you have your Bibles with you, to the uh, Old Testament. And we're going to be looking at a passage that powerfully communicates what the bottom line of being a father is all about. It's in uh, the book of Exodus, uh, Exodus chapter 33. Exodus 33. You know, where else but in Summit County can you see all that? At least you can see it. I can't, which is a little bit frustrating, to be honest. Much less have a church service surrounded by all that. Very few places in the world. Don't you love those mountains? They're so silent, but it doesn't matter. They're so silent, but they're so very present, aren't they? It's a silence, it's a presence that makes all the difference in uh, Summit County. In fact, without them, most of you probably wouldn't even be here. Did you know that the Bible compares the mountains with God? And in particular, the Bible compares the mountains with God the Father. And it reminds me of something that we're going to be talking about today here on Father's Day, that those silent mountains are really the very picture of something. And that is this, just a a father's presence that makes all the difference in the world. Most women, most mothers, as most of you know, are kind of wired to communicate. They're hardwired to communicate in a way that uh, most men, most fathers couldn't even begin to approach. But that's okay, men. That's okay, fathers, because he has wired uh, you to be present in a way that most women couldn't ever even begin to approach. Just ask any single mother. But we tend to take for granted the difference the male presence makes. Reminds me of a story someone told about the time his mother was flying from a DIA to Kansas City. And he said, my mother was sitting across the aisle from a woman and her eight year old son. Mom couldn't help but laughing as they neared their destination. And she heard the mother say to the boy, now remember, run to dad first and then to the dog. It's easy to take a father's presence for granted. Here's a letter from an eight-year-old who I knew well. Dear Dad, you don't know how much you mean to me. Like when you come into the house and the warmth and the kindness that flows around you that I can sense even before you come into the door. You're like a house that I come to for protection. A loving father is all I could ever ask for. Then he says this. I have so much more to tell you, but I'll have to tell you next year. On to stuff to do, right? We do take for granted the difference that dad makes. Kids thrive on it, but you only hear about it once a year, if that. But it's the foundation on which they play and live their lives and everything else. They have so much more to tell us, but they're all too busy living and playing on the foundation that uh, our presence brings. In fact, we don't just take for granted the male presence. It's worse. We ridicule it because there is a bias against men in general in our country, and it has become almost endemic to our culture. And it's seeped into the church. And you can tell it sometimes on Father's Day. I can can tell you as a preacher, and I've talked to other pastors too, that uh, there's a tendency to do this. Here's what generally happens. On Mother's Day, we really encourage the women, right? And that's good. We ought to. But on Father's Day, sometimes we tend to beat up on the men. In a lot of ways, it's open season on men. Male bashing is okay in our culture. If men, if men talked about women on some sitcom, anything like the women talk about men, there would be an uproar. 
I've not watched the show, but I've heard the great example of this is Sex in the City. I have a book on my shelves called How to Make Your Man Behave in 21 Days or Less Using the Secrets of Professional Dog Trainers. That is really funny, and I've got to admit, I laughed at it, and I've read through it. It's a pretty funny book, but uh, it's also very sad. Here's the introduction to the book. There's a, a kind of a table that says, easy to follow key. There's a box around it. It says, dog equals man, doggy equals man, puppy equals man, mongrel equals man, canine equals man, mutt equals man, pack of dogs equals men. And then there's a picture of a dog and an equal sign and then a picture of a man. It's, uh, you know, it is funny, but I'm telling you, if a book like that were written about women, there would be an uproar. How, how, you know, how does this sound? How to, make, how to make your woman behave in 21 days or less using the secrets of professional dog trainers. But it's worse. And bear with me, this leads up to our passage. In a lot of ways, we become kind of a feminized culture that judges men by feminine standards. We, you know, so love and marriage and all that, that, for instance, it's all about face-to-face intimacy. It's about vulnerability. It's about romance. And that is true, but that's only half of the truth. That's what the woman brings. That's her strength. What's the other half of the truth? Marriage is equally about virtue and honor and courage out there in the world. Uh, integrity, industry, a protection, provision. That's a man's role. Though, of course, we both share them to some degree. And under and through it all, men, it's just your presence. It's all about presence, being a rock-solid presence, as only a man can be. We just kind of take all that for granted sometimes because it's all kind of silence. But your husband is not just silent. No, his is a, a mountainous silence. So many men I've talked to over the years think, what's wrong with me? I've got to work so hard at this thing of communication and intimacy and vulnerability and romance. And we men need to do that. But that's, again, only half of it. And the goal is not to make you a woman. But it's a feminized world where men are judged according to feminine standards and they can't even begin to measure up like their wives do. And so they withdraw sometimes and become passive and turn on ESPN. And then we blame the men for doing that because they're not, they're not more like women. Men, you owe me today. <laughs> you owe me for this. We're raising boys who are very conflicted about what it means to be a man and even feel guilty about the way they're, they're wired. Dr. Emerson Egridge said this, we tell men they're supposed to get in tune with their effeminate side. Get in tune with your female side. But do we ever tell women to get in tune with their masculine side in marriage conferences? No. And that's proof positive that we are biased against your son. Your baby boy is going to be in a culture that says there is something seriously wrong with you. And it's fair game on you because of that. Why? Because he does not respond at a level of intimacy naturally like a woman does. There's something seriously wrong with me because I'm not pink. Right? Like a woman. In a lot of ways, it's a pink culture. And where's the blue? 
What's the blue side when it comes to being a father? Well, today I'd like to talk about this, about the foundation of the blue side that you and only you as a man can provide. And it's not what you say, it's not even what you do nearly as much as it is just who you are. Your presence. It's all over the place in the scripture. It's what David, interestingly, most appreciated about the heavenly father. Psalm 46, 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold just in his presence because he's with us. One of my favorites, Psalm 18. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my God, my rock. He's not saying anything here. That is God isn't yet in whom I take refuge. One of my favorites is Deuteronomy 33, 27. The eternal God is a dwelling place and underneath are the everlasting arms. Just like that eight year old who said, you're like a house that I come to, dad, that I come to for protection. And we see the same thing powerfully taught on the difference a father makes in um, in uh, Exodus 33, our passage for today. Now, I find it interesting that Deuteronomy 33, which I just read, it says the eternal God is a dwelling place and underneath are the everlasting arms. And Exodus 33 tells us how they learned that lesson, how they came to appreciate this truth. It's the story of the golden calf, as some of you know, where they told Aaron in verse one, go make a God for us who will go before us. Now, up until then, Moses had gone before them. Up until he left them, he went up to the mountain. And when he stayed for 40 days and 40 nights, it says they asked Aaron to make a God for us, to make a God who will go before us, it says, who will go up in our midst. For this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. So make a God for us. That is a golden calf. And, you know, God, the father is up there in heaven thinking, what am I, duck soup? Right. You need a God. What about me? They had totally forgotten, as often happens, the Father. They had totally forgotten about that God himself, it says earlier, had been going up in their midst. They had just been taking his presence for granted, which is so easy to do. And so he went on to teach them a lesson that they would never forget. He said in Exodus 33.3, Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. I'll still bless you. I'll still give you the promised land, but I will not go up among, uh, with you. For you are a stiff-necked people. And then get this. What's their response? When the people heard this disastrous word, they all of a sudden realized what he had meant. This disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on their ornaments. We don't have time to unpack the whole story, but Moses prayed for the people three times, and finally God said in Exodus 33, 14, Okay, my presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. The father taught them again a lesson they'd never forget. At least some of them, a lot of them did forget it. A lesson that we need to learn as men. A lesson our wives and our families sometimes need to learn. And that is our presence makes a world of difference. The bottom line of what your family needs is just that. Without it, it's disastrous, like like it was for the children of Israel. The essential role of God the Father in the minds of the children of Israel, the sine qua known, as they say, the without which you've got nothing, the, um, the promise that brings all of his other attributes that he has is this, my presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. 
And at the thought of his absence, it says, they went into mourning. They took off all his or- their ornaments. Moses himself became as frightened as a little child. This great man, Moses, he said, he said in verse 15, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not lead us up from here. We, we, I don't want to go anywhere in life without you. That is, we'd rather suffer in the wilderness. We'd rather die anywhere than face life without you here. If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how can it be known that I I have found favor in your sight, I I and your people? It's the sign of the Father's favor on His family, just His abiding presence. For how can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going up with us so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the people who are on the face of the earth? Fathers, your presence makes your family feel distinguished from all the other people, favored. You give them their identity, their security, their bravery, without which they'll shrink back in fear. Just ask any single mother. And if you are, there's an answer for you, as we'll see at the end. Just talk, you know, to your wife about what happens when you're gone and when all of a sudden there's this great absence. All embracing is the sky. And you're, you're, you are as big as God in a child's eyes. You're the only one in the world that can fill that void. It's well documented. Just how important this is. And in school records, divorce courts, penal institutions... Uh, the welfare system, scores of social ills have been linked simply to the lack of a strong fatherly presence in the home, right? We've all heard about it. All the way from poor academic performance to increased truancy, poverty, uh, welfare dependence, juvenile violence, gang warfare, and imprisonment. In fact, get this, when the father is an active Christian, his children are five more times likely to become Christians than when only the mother is a believer. If that's not power of presence, I don't know what is. There is a 75% conversion rate when dad is a Christian compared to a 15% conversion rate when the mother alone is a Christian. Does your presence make any difference? One researcher put it this way, the most, and I love this, the most bumbling, inarticulate, tongue-shied, tongue-tied, shy, introverted father is skyscrapers above the most educated, experienced, polished, cool youth director. Don't let it get you down what you're not, that you're not cool like someone else. There is simply no one in the world, this is based on a lot of research, who can have the influence of a natural father. Absolutely, positively, no one. Not any friend, not any professional, not any guardian, nothing, absolutely nothing, has the power for impacting a child's life more, and here it is again, than the presence of a father. So take heart, men. You are making a difference counter to what you're hearing all around you. And maybe even in your home. More than you know, there, there, there's just something about a father's physical and uh, emotional presence that gives life to a child, masculine life. Watching him shave, hearing him laugh, touching his, his flesh, just being around dad invests a child with large amounts of male energy. And for a woman, it's like a shield around her so she won't go running after knocking at all the wrong doors. And this emotional capital cannot be gained anywhere other than 
uh, a presence of a father. At least that's ideal. That God the Father steps in, as we're going to see in a bit, if you don't have a father. Another researcher summed it up this way. There is something almost magical about the presence of a stable and functional father in a child's life. When dad is not there, there as in just living there in the home, something deep in a child's psyche perceives a critical deficit, a desperate and frightening imbalance that often preys on the child's particular vulnerabilities, causing him to, or her to careen off into unhealthy extremes. One doctor, the anecdotal evidence I and other clinicians gather every day is this, the rise of the Ritalin and antidepressant culture in children and teens suggests that the message is often just, I need my daddy. I need the sound of his voice as I settle down and sleep at night. I need his reassuring touch when I awake in the morning. I need the security of knowing that he is there with my mother and me, providing for us, protecting us, and loving us. I just need him. But in the face of all that, it is open season on men. Go figure. Just look out there, men. I wish I could right now. On either side of this amphitheater, across the lake. That's the difference you make. Women, children, look and let it sink in. That's the difference your father makes. You know, where else but in Summit County can you see anything like all that? Very few places in the world. And where else but in Summit County can you ski in the middle of June? Isn't that amazing? How many of you have skied in the middle of June here? How many of you have gone to A Basin? A lot of you have. Well, um, it's a wonderful thing. Yesterday morning I went skinning up A Basin with uh, Tim Morris and a friend of Tim's, an Australian whose name is Winston. And we had just started up when he started talking about an article that someone had sent him, I think it was yesterday or the day before yesterday, on fathers. And as he kind of talked about what this article was about, I said, you've got to send it to me. I'm preaching on that Sunday. And that's exactly the slant I'm taking. So he uh, emailed it to me. And it's from the Christian Science Monitor. It's titled, Why I Couldn't Write the ten, Top Ten Rules for New Fathers. He said, in the past year, almost four million babies were born in America, which means a lot of new fathers were born, making this their first Father's Day. So I wanted to share some lessons from 25 years on the job. I know guys like rules, so I tried writing the 10 top rules for new fathers. We men love top 10 lists, too, so that it would have been a coup, or so I thought. I didn't get very far. I also look at compiling a list of ten axioms from sports or business that might be instructive. But that also turned out to be a few fool's errand. I put some things down, but of what you should do, then I looked at over 25 years of fathering. I said, no, nah, that's not going to work. We're told we're supposed to set goals, create strategy or action plans, work hard. It's all wrong. In some ways, fatherhood is the least goal-oriented enterprise you've ever embarked on. It's not about outcomes nearly as much as it is about process. And then listen to this. Fatherhood is the art of being there. It all comes out of that. A walk to a coffee shop down the street is not always a walk to a coffee shop. You may never get there. The walk may become the discovery of grass walk, right? Or the adventures of a large truck parked across the street. Or in the case of my son, Zach, when he was 18 months old, the joy of collecting cigarette butts. 
It's your presence through the process of their growing up that makes all the difference. That's the foundation. Listen to me, women, mothers, sons, daughters. It's their presence through the process of growing up that makes all the difference. Well, you know, we continued skinning up a basin up the mountain yesterday talking about these things. I guess it was his mentioning the article that God is talking about Father's Day, about fathers, the difference their present makes. And about halfway up, Tim Morris said, we've got to remember, though, it's not all lost if you don't have a father. And thank goodness, because these days, maybe half of you have problems there. Distant fathers, divorced fathers, dysfunctional fathers, whatever. And he went on to tell about how his dad lost his father at a very early age and how God brought all these men into his life and how it worked out for such a great good and all that he made of his life. And I said, yeah. And uh, <clears throat> I was breathing air, but, you know, breathing through a straw. By then, Tim Moore is in the greatest shape. And um, so I got out these words slowly, but surely I said, yeah, I talked about and I talked about how I lost my father as I did at the age of six and how God the father intervened and did the same thing for me. And about how to such emptiness, such loss that feels all-embracing as the sky sometimes, He is drawn, the God of the mountains. The God of the mountains. And we looked over at, you know, I think it's called the Argentine Mountain there in the middle of that big range that towers up as you, on a basin as you ski up the mountain or ski down, it's on your right. And, uh, and I, we, I was looking at that, it's like right there, and there was such, such magisterial silence. It was so eloquent, right? And I talked about how God the Father had become that way for me and how He's like a rock and a fortress all around us and deep within us. He can be our rock. And about how when your earthly father is dead or distant or uh, dysfunctional or divorced, how God the Father, not immediately, but over the years, He can more and more fill the emptiness with something, if it be possible, intimate, infinitely better. The same Father who's saying to you today, if all you have is an absence, He's saying to you, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Just use wait. Why? Psalm 68.5, a verse my mother would share to us little kids, my sister and I, again and again through the years of her widowhood. Psalm 68.5, a father to the fatherless and a champion of widows is God in His holy habitation. Praise God. Look behind me at those mountains and listen. Let it sink in. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people. Psalm 125.2 In the Lord I take refuge. Flee as a bird to your mountain. Psalm 11.1 Psalm 3, verse 4 I was crying to the Lord with my voice and He answered me from His holy mountain. And the Lord said, Come up to me on the mountain and remain there with me. That's His call to you. Exodus 24.12 
Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news, Isaiah 40. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up and do not fear. Get yourself up on a mountain and say, here is your God. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, Psalm 125, 1 and 2, which cannot be moved and abides forever. Thank goodness, given what's going on in our economy and around the world today. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. Annie Dillard said this, based on all that. She said, mountains, look at the mountains and listen. I love this. Mountains are giant, restful, absorbent. You can heave your spirit into a mountain and the mountain will keep it folded and not throw it back. The mountains are home. He wants to take some of you home today because your dad was absent for whatever reason. Maybe you've been haunted by this great absence all your life, all embracing as the sky. And underneath the facade of being a grown-up, there's a child in you that's been drifting for a long, long time. And on top of all that, look what you're going through right now. There's no end in sight. You may have lost all hope. You, you feel forsaken. And there's a father hunger in you that you have discovered no man can fill. That's too great for anyone to satisfy. Well, I'm here to tell you today that there is a someone out there who is big enough. He's right here with us. And he's given us the signs of his presence all around us, especially in Summit County. A father who's surrounding you like the mountains surround Jerusalem. Who can halt the drift of any son or any daughter at any time under any circumstances. Who can satisfy any father hunger. And he can fill any father's absence, whether you know it or not, whether you appreciate it or not. Even if you scorn the idea of a father God that's patriarchal, I'm into the goddess religion or whatever. Even if you scorn him, God the Father, that's what he's doing with you right now. He's upholding you down to the very atoms of your being. And he's trying to woo you to himself because only he will satisfy. And deep down, I think you know it. Whoever you are, though, the arms of your father will eventually fall away. Then what do we do? Whether, you know, through Alzheimer's, as I know some of you have experienced, they become a different person. Or cancer or normal aging or an abnormal upbringing. In one way or another, your mother or father are going to leave you. But that's okay because that's just his way of making room for himself. Who's irresistibly drawn to all the lonely children, all the lonely people. Where do they all come from? They're separated from the father. They need him. You know, I was thinking about these things yesterday. We were talking about them as we went up a basin. And we were getting to the top, and I looked, as I looked at that range so near, towering up there uh, on our left, I thought about my time with my daughter Rachel a week earlier. 
we were skinning up the same place. It's kind of humbling. She came from sea level, Cedarville University, <laughs> to two miles high. And three days later, we skinned up, and I beat her by 10 yards. The next time we skinned up, and she beat me. She said, that's okay, Dad. How old are you? How old, are you? How old am I? And a good daughter is always good to bolster your pride. But she beat me. We were skinning up A-Basin together along with, with Dan Burnett and his daughter, Rachel. Just a father-daughter time. We didn't talk all that much, but somehow it wasn't all that necessary. It was enough just to be there with my precious daughter, Rachel. It filled my cup. And for Dad, for Dan, to be there with his precious daughter, Rachel. And for them... I didn't even have to ask them. You could just tell it. Our presence was more than enough. Everything else was frosting on the cake because men, you are not a dog. No, you are quite the opposite. You are more like God. Your presence is huge. And I mean that literally. Even when you're silent, it's a a mountainous presence, a magisterial silence. The Father's presence is what they most need. And if you don't have one, here's what God the Father is saying to you today. Just believe, just believe in my Son who I sent to die for you. He said, I came to lead them to the Father. That's the whole reason Christ came and died for our sins, sins that were separating us from the Father. He died for your sin that you might come. So just confess your sin, things that you have done that you know are wrong, and believe in Him. And He'll take you to the Father. He'll open up His Spirit more and more in you to fill you more and more. He will. That's a promise. And He's saying to you right now, you do that, and my presence more and more will go with you. And I will give you rest. Father, we thank You for the difference that You do make. Forgive us for taking it for granted. Thank You for our fathers. Forgive us for taking them for granted. Thank You that because You're with us and in us and all around us, our rock and our stronghold, we thank You so that no matter what happens to us, we can go into the world in peace. And we can have courage. I pray that many here today would come to you through the Son. Thank you that you sent him for this very purpose, to bring all the children back home. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. It may not be coincidental that this is our Benevolence Offering Sunday. Once a month we take an offering so that we can be the Father's hands of mercy. Uh, to provide for the needs of the needy in our church as well as in the community. And there are great needs these days uh, in this economy. And so uh, Rich Bender is going to be sharing a few things about that. And if we could have the ushers come down, that would be great. Good morning. Uh, Dillon Community Church, as some of you know, the third Sunday of each month funds for the Benevolence Ministry, which has been in place since 1996 with the church. This allows us to help people within our church that come to the committee for needs, and it provides a great reputation that we have in the county for people to come to us 
and ask for assistance from the church. This is our only source of funding for this ministry is through this offering. So that gives a little basis there. And Brian, I'd like to, if you'd go ahead and start the offering, please. Brian, I'd like to tap on with what you said is the opportunity that our church has due to its reputation, due to people coming to us, it just taps in so much this morning with the sermon and with the things that are written in Scripture also of how we are to help others that don't have as much in the community or those that are visiting. And we do help people within our church, and many of the assistance that we give to people comes from outside. I'm going to give you a short story this morning of one of the examples that came in. We keep this confidential. We never mention people's names. There was a gentleman that came into the church one day, asked for assistance. He had ended up in Frisco, Colorado. He had been told by someone he had run into in Texas that there would be a job for him in Frisco. He came up here. He had nothing. And he came up here hoping. He found out there was not a job in Frisco, Colorado. He went to various churches. They happened not to be open. He went into a local business and asked the owner, where can I get help? The owner said, Dillon Community Church, we've heard, helps people that come to them. That's how he came to the committee. The gentleman, United States Navy rabbi chaplain, brain injury and vision impairment from Afghanistan. He therefore had some problems on reasoning, logic, and he was here without help. He came to the committee. It ended up that all he needed was food. He needed a bus ticket back to Texas. He stated he knew he was wrong. He was very frustrated. He needed to get back to his daughter and family in Texas. He said, this didn't turn out the way I needed. I need some help from someone to direct me. What a small opportunity that we had as a church to do something major in someone's life who really needed help. And overall, a very small thing that we could do he ended up saying that he knows he has so much to be grateful for. He has so much less injuries than many of our troops. And he was very satisfied and happy that our church could do something to help him in such a small way. Your contributions, whatever they might be, go as far as we can possibly take them. And we will use them on the committee as very judiciously as we possibly can. Sometimes we can help people, sometimes we can't. But we thank you for everything that you've done in the past, everything that you are doing today. And we just also ask, the Benevolence Committee asks, remember the Benevolence Ministry in your prayers for the continuing op opportunities we have to serve others. Thank you. Well, why don't we all stand together? Now go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. And share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you this week and through you. Amen and amen. Thanks for coming. Have a great week. You have my heart, and I am yours forever. 
Thank you. 